can use anyone, anywhere, at any time, provided they truly belong to Christ and fear the Lord. It's not a license to disobedience, but rather a testament to the glory and grace of God. And so they made their deliberation. And now Jonah himself joined in and responded in verse 12. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. They began their investigation back in verse 8 with interrogation. And then we have their deliberation in verse 11. What shall we do unto thee? And now we see the confession of Jonah. Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon me. Jonah must have been at his lowest point here. As far as he, as he was concerned, his ministry was over. And God was finished with him. The only thing he deserved in his own eyes was to suffer the just punishment from God for his disobedience and to drown in the depths of the sea. In Jonah's mind, it was all over. It was time for him to prepare to meet his God. He acknowledged himself to be the sole cause of the tempest. If they therefore disposed of him, the sea would be calm. It's remarkable to see Jonah's candid assessment of himself. He willingly accepted the blame and responsibility for the consequences of his actions and made no attempt to justify himself. Would it not be a good thing for those of us who profess faith in Christ to let this example of honesty be a lesson unto us? When we err and when we stray from the path of righteousness and if indeed we fall into sin, then let us be honest about it and accept the blame before God and acknowledge our iniquity and not seek to cover it up or make excuses for it or explain it away. You remember when the man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 who committed gross sin with his father's wife was later restored to the fellowship of the church. It was only after he had been disciplined and had shown genuine evidence of having repented and then we find him restored to fellowship in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. There was no attempt to cover it up. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1 and verse 9. You see, when genuine repentance is followed by confession and cleansing, the spirit of true humility and honesty is manifest, as was the case here with Jonah. Only he had not confessed his sin to the Lord as yet. That was yet to come. However, this was the preparation ground. But Jonah felt that it was all over for him now. Perhaps there was no use seeking the forgiveness of God now. Perhaps for Jonah it was too late. But unbeknownst to Jonah, the punishment he was experiencing served the purposes of God more than he could ever have imagined possible. You see, God's dealings here with Jonah were in plain view before the other men. The tempest would have spoken to them of the anger and displeasure of God. But instead of turning them away from God, it drove them closer to God. You see, their deliberation now turned secondly to desperation. In verse 13, notice verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring it, that is, the vessel, the ship, to the land. But they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against 
them. They made one last desperate attempt to avoid sacrificing the life of the one they now knew was responsible for bringing this calamity upon them. They did not immediately do what Jonah had requested them to do. Why? Well, natural human instinct in such circumstances is to save life rather than to destroy it. And the men are, commended, are to be commended for doing that. They are to be commended for doing all that they could and all that was humanly possible to save Jonah's life. But alas, their efforts were in vain. This, again, was all in the purposes of God because now they began to call upon God in verse 14. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord, verse 14, and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee. You see, had they succeeded in rowing, and rather reaching the land themselves by hard rowing, they would almost certainly not have called upon God. They would have been dependent upon their own efforts. And had they succeeded, they would never have given God the glory. But God often uses life-threatening circumstances to turn sinners to himself. And such was the case with these men. Their utter desperation led them to cry unto the Lord for mercy because they knew now that granting his request for death was their only hope of survival. Verse 14 again. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. What a marked contrast to when they had earlier cried every man unto his God. Now they knew their gods could do nothing for them. Nor had they power over men's lives. Nor had they power over the waves of the sea and the storms. God's displeasure with Jonah had to be seen by them in order for them to fear God and to seek after him for mercy. You see, God turned around Jonah's disobedience and used it as a testimony to these men and, and that this was the God. This was the one true God of eternity with whom we have to do. I wonder do we need to make an application to the church age and to us as believers. After all, the things that were written aforetime are for our learning and for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. I wonder does this lesson from the life of Jonah need to be brought home to us today? Does God need to be angry with the worldliness and hypocrisy of contemporary Christianity in order that men and women might see the anger of God and consequently know that he is a God to be feared and to be obeyed? Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17, where the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? You see, God was now using these heathen men as instruments of judgment and punishment to Jonah. But unbeknownst to Jonah, mercy also was at hand. The men who now began to fear God must have known something of this because they said, For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. It's remarkable to see how their consciences were stirred as they weighed up the situation in the balances of divine judgment. You see, that is to say, as they cried out unto the Lord, We beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. They were not guilty of murder, and they knew it. 
and so they pleaded their cause to God. They were only granting Jonah's wish for his body to be committed to the waves in order that the waves might be stilled and their lives would be saved. After all, they were not responsible for bringing the anger of God down upon the sea. It was Jonah's doing. He openly acknowledged that to be the case and was willing to bear the brunt of divine judgment. They were only following instructions, not only from God's servant, but from God himself. For thy, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. They were appealing to God for mercy. It's amazing to see, is it not, how articulate these men are as they made their case before God. It shows how wonderful a thing the fear of the Lord is. It has an amazing effect upon the soul of an individual. It sobers the mind. It sobers the thinking and the judgment of that person because they realize that divine mercy is their only hope. And now in this age, divine hope and mercy is only to be found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone can save from the waves of divine judgment because he alone satisfied the righteous demands of a just and holy God when he offered up himself once and for all. Jonah, prophetically here, was pointing forward to the Lord Jesus Christ by offering himself to be given unto death in order to save the lives of these men. Their deliberation, their desperation. But thirdly, this morning we see their decision in verse 15. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. You see, there was no turning back the clock now for these men. Their decision had been made. And they acted upon it swiftly and with no hesitation. But the immediate result of their action was exactly according to the word that Jonah had spoken unto them. So shall the sea be calm unto you. And it was calm. They would have remembered those words and they would also have remembered what Jonah said after these words. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Now the tempest was gone. The sea was calm. The raging waves had ceased. Then, verse 16, the men feared the Lord exceedingly. By the grace of God, Jonah had accomplished something. Or rather, God had accomplished something through Jonah. You remember back in verse 9, he had said to the men, I fear the Lord. Now in verse 16, the men feared the Lord exceedingly. The conversion of a group of heathen sailors from the worship of idols to the worship of the God of heaven, the one true living God. And they offered sacrifices unto the Lord and made vows. Here we see faith, accompanied by works, immediately which demonstrated that they had turned from idols to serve the living and the true God. Just as, jo uh, as Noah rather had offered sacrifices back in Genesis chapter 9, or Genesis chapter 8 rather, you remember how Noah, after he came out of the ark, he offered sacrifices of every clean beast. Now these men, by faith, were offering a sweet-smelling savour unto God, speaking prophetically, of course, of Christ, a type and shadow of the one sacrifice for sins forever, who sat down on the right hand of God. And so the testimony of these men concludes, and the record of their conversion. A disobedient servant, who nevertheless still feared God, was instrumental in pointing these men to the Lord. Again, it's not a license for disobedience. It's not a license for us as believers 
to live as we please and still expect the Lord to use us. He won't. He won't. Jonah feared the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And for Jonah, it was the beginning of his path to repentance and recommission. And being recommissioned, rather, to the service of the Lord. And so we have their deliberation. We have their desperation. We have their decision. And then fourthly this morning, we see deliverance in verse 17. Notice the pattern of divine intervention here. Back in verse 4 of chapter 1, we have the words, But the Lord sent out a great wind. Here we have the words, Now, verse 17, Now the Lord prepared a great fish. It all speaks of the hand of God from beginning to end. Both the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man are clearly and consistently seen here in the account of Job and of God's dealings with him. But the Lord, now the Lord, then Jonah prayed. Chapter 2 and verse 1. It also speaks of the long-suffering and patience of God, that an entire chapter of events in chapter 1 took their course before Jonah opened his mouth in prayer to God. And we see the mercy of God here. No sooner had Jonah been cast from the vessel than he was received into the mouth of a mammal. It may not have been pleasant, but it was God's provision. At least Jonah was able to breathe inside the fish. And it may not have been palatable, but it met the purposes of God. Could Jonah have imagined that part of his chastisement and punishment was to point forward prophetically to the truth that as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of of the earth, the very words of the Lord Jesus himself in Matthew 12 and verse 40. Could he have imagined that the only begotten Son of God, veiled in human flesh, would later tell an evil and adulterous generation that the only sign to that generation would be the sign of the prophet Jonah? Jonah was still being used of God. Ah, the purposes of God are past finding out. Jonah, by his experience, prophesied of the Savior who was to come into the world. The timing was perfect. When he prayed in verse 1 of chapter 2, there's no indication of any delay here. He was swallowed up and then immediately he prayed. Then he prayed unto the Lord God, to the Lord his God rather, out of the fish's belly. He would not have prayed if he didn't believe that God would hear him. You see, throughout the course of Jonah's prayer in chapter 2, his words are made up entirely of quotations from Scripture mostly from the book of Psalms, some from the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Now that tells me that in the depths of darkness and despair and desperation, nothing but the word of God was Jonah's source of hope. He comforted himself by praying and crying out to the Lord from the very scriptures he knew by heart as a prophet himself. He chose his Psalms very carefully. They were not just random references here and there. Indeed, the psalmist's past experiences of despairing of God's presence were now his own for Jonah. And he was able to draw upon that well of wisdom and knowledge in order to make his petition unto the Lord. No longer was he fleeing now from the Lord's presence. Now there was nowhere to hide. And yet in spite of that, there was shelter, safety, and solitude inside of the fish's belly. Yes, it was a taste of hell's darkness. But he knew that at the very least he was able to pray unto God. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou 
heardest my voice. Now Jonah was about to be recommissioned and sent. Now his voice would be heard by the people of Nineveh, who themselves were bound for hell and destruction. But who, like Jonah, found true repentance, deliverance, and mercy? This, by no means, as we said already, is a license for disobedience to the believer. Neither is it an excuse for a willful wandering from the way of God and from the word of God, thinking that God will simply let us off the hook, as it were, speaking reverently, and recommission us again after we have gone our own way for a season. No. Deliberate disobedience will bring no blessing, not only misery, ruin, and despair, but genuine repentance and the fear of the Lord will open the door to God's mercy and set a believer on the right path again. Just like Jonah was recommissioned to the service of the Lord. My dear friend, this morning, you can be used of the Lord if you will submit yourself to him. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts, and may the challenge of Jonah's life be applicable to each and every one of us this morning for his name's sake. Shall we pray? God and our Father, we thank thee again for thy precious word. We pray, Father, that thou wilt 